0: In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Nehemiah, chapters 12 and 13. And made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. And this is, this is following the commandments of God, who wanted his people separate. It's not passing judgment on the individuals. It's an ordinance to keep the Israel uh, distinctive, to be his people. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? It's interesting, Solomon is the the first of all of these. This all tracks back to him. You can put it at his feet, in a sense. Yet among many nations was there no king like him. He was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Solomon was bright as the wisest guy ever lived, and yet women caused him to stumble. Who are we to think we're any better? Women are the measure of weakness in a man. Shall we then hearken unto uh, unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Jai, to the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law, to Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him away from me. Remember, Sanballat was the troublemaker. He and Tobias were the bad guys back in the earlier chapters, right? Well, one of the sons of the high priest, or son of the, the grandson of the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Hornites. See, how, how These things get really messed up. Therefore, I chased him away from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites and I cleansed and then thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed wards of the priests and the levites everyone in this business and for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits remember me O oh my god for good you know we read this and it sounds so severe because we can't help but sort of visualize the individuals involved the man and the woman that happened to have different uh, ethnological backgrounds having their families torn apart uh, we need to elevate our perspective, not just individually, but the good welfare of the nation at large is at issue. The same things, true. These same kinds of things uh, enter into the discussions about capital punishment. Capital, you know, the capital punishment isn't just as a, you know, the idea that, well, it's a, is, it not, is it or is it not a deterrence? That's not the point. You realize they, didn't have, they did not have prisons in Israel. Think about it. It's the protection of, the, of, of the, the total package. And so ends the book of Nehemiah. But I want to depart, since we have a few minutes left here. And I, I was going to just summarize the whole book, but it's been a short enough excursion here. I think we're together. But um, what is the great commandment? Anyone? Very good. What Jesus did when asked that question, he quoted the Shema. Shema. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And Jesus uses the term, he introduces a Greek word, mind, with all thy mind, but same essential thought. You know, it's interesting, as a guy that's come up from the uh, computer business, to understand architecture. Most of us think of architecture, we think of buildings, but there's also architecture of systems. We think of architecture of hardware, but there's also even a more subtle architecture that we face every day, and that's the architecture of software. And software is very strange because you cannot infer the organization of a computer program by its external behavior. If you're using a computer, I can use this analogy because most of have some experience, the behavior of the computer has little to do with the hardware. The hardware is simply the environment within which the software runs. And you do certain things, and it accomplishes certain things for you. And you learn how to do that, how to, how to communicate to it, and it gives you various work product and response. But how it goes about that, you can't tell from the outside looking in. Because it's what's called mathematics an infinite state machine. You can, and and uh, the fact that you can't infer the software from the outside is the reason we have a software industry. Because you can go down the store and buy a software package and use it all you like. But you can't take it apart and change it, generally, if they don't want you to, because you can't, you don't know how it's organized, internally, inside. You don't care, because all you want to make sure is, you, all you ever see is what they call the user interface, the outsides. If you do this, it'll do that, but how it goes about it, you don't know. It's hidden there. It's buried in the arcana of the codes. And in general, exceptions, but in general, that's the whole point. You can not You can go from the inside out, but you can't go from the outside in. It's just the nature of the, of the structure. Well, you know, see, what's interesting is you and I face the same problem. Because the real you, see, as I look out here and see you, I can't really see you. I can just see the temporary residence you're residing in. The real you, call it soul, spirit, give it what label you like, is not visible. I can only see your external behavior. Only God knows your heart. Well, uh, it turns out, we're, when we talk about the great, uh, the, the, uh, great command, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and so forth. What does that mean? What's the difference between heart, soul, and mind? Are those just synonyms? What's the difference between the heart? What, is, what does the Bible mean by heart? See, you and I, it's not certainly not the organ that pumps the blood. We use that as an idiom, right? What is the soul? What is the spirit? You are powerless to discern the difference unless you go to the Scripture, because Hebrews 4.12 says only the Word of God can discern between the soul and the spirit. So the point is, the heart. good word is "cardia" in the Greek. And there's all kinds of verses about the heart which tells us we can't know it. New, uh, uh, Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? It's unknowable. You can't know your heart unless God reveals it to you. And there's a lot of verses. I won't go through all this here so we get through but uh, they'll be all in the notes. Soul, we use that term soul, Suki in the Greek, it's from which we get psychology. It's, it's, our, it's in a sense our external behavior of the software. James tells us twice. He says a double souled mind, a uh, double minded man is unstable on his ways. The word isn't really mind; it's soul. Double souled person. And what do you mean by your soul? That's that part of your external behavior that I can perceive, but it's still software. And how do I and, and I do that? From your, it, it drives the body, if you will. And spirit. We use that term, you know, pneuma, the Holy Spirit, of course, and also you have a spirit. First Peter talks about that. John three and. Uh, and uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and so forth. Now what's interesting, as we try to understand how we're structured, it turns out you, if you know anything about software, you can't do it by looking at how the software works. You need to have the owner's manual, the design manual. Oh, by the way, the word mind. I forgot, there's the fourth word I want to touch on here. The word mind. The normal word for mind is nous, which is, uh, uh, but here in the, in the, uh, the rend- rendering that we're dealing with here, the word is dianoa, which is, actually means willpower your volition, your willpower. And uh, so let this mind be in you, which is in Christ, and so on. So it's interesting. It's a shock. My, I'm I owe Most of what I'm describing to my wife, who really got into this, and she spent uh, uh, several decades going through every word in the Hebrew and every word in the Greek that relates to this and its related subjects, and to, to sort all this out. And I started paying attention when she pointed out to me that seven times in the New Testament, it says, "You are the temple of God." First Corinthians three, 1 Corinthians 6, Second Corinthians 6, Ephesians two, Hebrews three, First Peter two and First Peter four, all have this strange expression: ye are the temple of God." Now that can mean in a collective sense, the, but very specifically, part of the implication here: the temple of God is where God dwells, and God dwells in you. But she was the first one to, to explore the conjecture. Is it possible that the architecture of the temple is a model of the architecture of you and I personally? That was a mind-blowing thing, and the more we've studied this, uh, more I'm con- convinced that she's, right on, she's on target here for lots of more reasons that I'll try to cover here. If you look at the, temple, the model of the temple, we talked about this earlier, we have these strange wooden chambers around it. Each sec- each piece of this uh, section of this architecture has its implications on how you and I are put together. We have the, the the temple had these personal storage places for the priests called the wooden chambers. I'm going to come back to that because it turns out of all the concepts, that turns out to be the most controversial. When we first published uh, her book, uh, Be Transformed, boy did we catch a lot of flack from some well-intentioned but unlearned people, and I'll come back to that in a minute. We have the Holy of Holies, of course, is the inner core of the whole thing, and the holy place. We have the porch. And I'm going to come back to that. That's an element that's in the temple that was not in the tabernacle. It's very profound. We have the inner court, and we have the outer court. Those are the main sections of the architecture of the temple. And it was my wife's suggestion that there's a, there's a, there are some relationships here that are worth exploring. The outer court is our body. That's the part that the world sees, our physical body. You run into anybody, and they can see your body. But inside, what determines its behavior in a sense, or at least part of it manifests its behavior, is the soul, the psyche. But what drives the soul is the heart. And, of course, way inside is the spirit. Now, what's interesting about this, you know, we say that if you're saved, you have the spirit of God inside you. Well, that's rather embarrassing. Because most of the time you can't see it. you know I, I I hate to give you some percentages how often do I really manifest the spirit of God? There may be moments now and then, but in general, what you see is Chuck mistler in the flesh with my soulish behavior brought about by my background and whatever okay but there's a mystery here. Wait a minute if the spirit of God is inside me, why is it you can't see it? Is it gone? No because the scripture says he gives you know it's given there. Uh, uh, I'm sealed under redemption with the presence of God in me okay then why isn't it more operative